Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. If we go back 2,000 years, today we know that it's Resurrection Sunday. It's what's happened. But two days ago, 2,000 years ago, it's a different scene altogether, wasn't it? We have a man accused of something almost twice. He rides on, on a donkey into town and people shout, "You, Hosanna, the king of the Jews. And it is a good thing. And a few hours later, they are shouting, king of the Jews, with a different tone, with hatred. Crucify him, crucify him. Same person, same statement, very different heart behind it. We, have, we, we see Jesus here having grown up as a man, the son of Joseph and Mary, in himself a vessel of, of obedience and honor. The perfect man, showing us that humanity can be redeemed in, in his humanity. Son of man, son of God. We see him at this point having attracted a following of 12 key people that he has poured himself into. He has given them wisdom that he got from the Father. He has challenged their norms. He has challenged their, their beliefs. Some of them were zealous. Some of them believed that he was here to usurp and to overthrow. And some of them were just absolutely in awe of every word that he, he said. And he has, he's got these 12 people. At this point... Three days, 2,000 years ago, he is betrayed by one of these close friends of his for a sum of money. What is your price to betray a friend, to betray, betray a Jesus, to betray a Savior? He is betrayed and handed over to stand accused for corrupt charges that he never leveled. He never said, but people shouted about him. How fickle is this world that they can take praise and truth and turn it into something corrupt and cruel that causes somebody pure, a vessel of humanity in, in perfection, obedience, and honor to be nailed to a cross. The same exclamations of praise. The king of the Jews, the king of kings, is now an accusation. He, he gets beaten to the point of not being recognizable. His beard is plucked out with pieces of his flesh. His head is swollen twice the size it was normally because they have thrusted something like acacia thorns into his scalp. Blood is dripping down him. He's already exhausted from the night before where he was sweating blood, crying out to his father, Lord, if in my humanity this can pass me by, let it be. He is whipped and beaten that you can see his intestine. The soft flesh on the sides are ripped off him completely. Completely. He's hanging on a cross. Every breath that he takes is excruciating because he has to push himself up after his feet and his ankles have been nailed to a cross to, 
inhale. 2,000 years, three days ago. The same praise has caused this. The same truth about our Jesus Christ has caused this to him. He was handed over by his people. You guys, you revolt tomorrow, you hand Terry over to the government and say, be, be, be done with him. He's nothing to us. Same people that, that tore their clothes so that his feet would not touch the ground are the people that are tearing his clothes of him in humiliation, throwing him before the Roman governor of the day, saying, this is the man. He, he goes at that point, and he, he saves his first person from physical death when he takes the place of Barabbas. He is the one who ransoms that man, still in his humanity. And he hangs on that cross as Jesus, the perfect man. And what the, the people thought, they are killing his claim to be the Messiah, the Son of God. They are actually giving credence to. Because on that cross, he died as Jesus, the man. But he rose again. Two days, three days later, whatever your calendar says, he rose, he rose again as the Savior of the world. At that point, he died as a man. The first of many to die as imperfect humans. But when he is resurrected again, he has become the all-powerful, almighty Never challenged, eternal, immutable savior of the world. And what they thought they were killing was brought to life in their act of killing. Jesus Christ died. His life was known by controversies. As a young child who gets lost, he's found in the temple. It's not normal. Yet another one. A wealthy guy comes and says, I'm a man of honor. Would you let me please take his body and at least hang it before the day of preparation? He gets no burial, no ceremony, no mourning. He doesn't get embalmed. He doesn't get treated with respect in his death. He just gets wrapped in a cloth put in a hole in the wall, and sealed. His grave is closed off, sealed, and guarded. People around his death already plot what they're going to say if there are things said about him. Well, if they say his body has disappeared, let's already say somebody stole it. They, they plot this thing already. The greatest, greatest thing that happens is he is taken from the grave. Supernaturally. The stone is pushed away. Despite man's every effort to seal him off, he is flung open for all eternity. You know, they didn't even secretly go and take the body and roll the stone back that you would see in a, in a movie nowadays. Let's just quietly steal the body and at least we have Jesus. No, that grave is left open. 
That stone is rolled away so that everyone that goes past for all eternity can say the grave is empty. He has risen. He is alive. 2,000 years ago, give or take. Jesus is alive. You and I are here because Jesus is alive. I stood this morning and I said, God, have you become so ordinary to me that I don't see the wonder in a simple statement delivered without any emphasis, Jesus is alive. Yet when I stand back and consider Jesus is alive for a second, it is the reason that I can stand here. It is the reason that I have a family, that I'm alive, that I have friends. <laughs> Jesus is alive. I want to talk about the catchiest phrase, clickbait. They're the marketing people. Jesus is alive. You don't even have to give me credit. It's just the truth. But you know what? Christmas is a, is a lovely thing for us because it's the day that we celebrate with happiness the arrival of a baby, and he's beautiful, and all the pictures show him with rosy cheeks, and we are so excited because there's hope, and it comforts us, Christmas. It comforts us because there was hope for mankind. The Christmas carols are about this. But where Christmas comforts, take a few letters out, add a few in, and Easter confronts with all the power that there is in the creator God. It challenges. If you are celebrating Easter and it is just a happy, happy place for you, I want to say you have missed the reality of Easter. It is supposed to confront. It is the moment when we as humans should look at this thing and be confronted with the actual broken, fallible nature that we have inside of us. It is the point where we realize that today I can praise with the most beautiful words and say, Jesus, you are my Lord and my King. And tomorrow I can say, ah, you're a King. Don't ask me to give this up. Who do you think you are, my king? He's my king. He's my, we are confronted by our, ourselves. Am I the only person here? It is a time of confronting us with how, how dis, disgusting our hearts are outside of Jesus restoring us in the Father. It is not a time of happy colors and eat painted Easter eggs. It is a time for you and me of being confronted by our need to be saved. Because we are imperfect. You know the other thing that Easter does? It also confronts us with the creator God. That in himself gave himself 
as restoration and redemption for us. We are confronted by the saving, restorative, resurrection, creation power of our God. It is a time of confrontation. If you are sitting here and you feel uncomfortable because I'm standing on this stage and saying that outside of accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, there is no hope for your salvation. May this be the time that you are confronted with the truth about our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you do not have an even an understanding of what I'm saying when I say he is Savior and he is Lord and he is God and there is no other, then I am happy to confront you this morning with that truth. It also means that Easter is a time for you as the individual Lembronian. To confront those around you with the truth about colorful Easter. Challenge given. This is where you say, challenge accepted. I've got a couple of points after this, but I want to first ask, is there anyone here who has never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And if you are here and you would like to know more about it, would you raise your hand now? It's not an embarrassing thing. It is a life-giving, vital thing that we would like to discuss with you. Is there anyone here who, much like me, has to confess it? Possibly you are not as perfect as you thought you were. And today is the day of reckoning to just come and say, Jesus, you're my Lord, my Savior. And just for a few moments, recommit your life in a meaningful way to the one who saved it. We all close our eyes and bow our heads just for a few moments. I think it's healthy from time to time to just say to God, I need you, Lord. In all brokenness and humility, just say, I need you. As a congregation, may that be something that we do continually. If you need to do that now, do it now. Be freshly confronted with the price that was paid for your salvation this morning. And if you are there sitting and you need prayer, don't you just raise your hand so we can come and stand and pray with you. If, you. if you need extra prayer this morning, just to say, God, I've wandered away. I just want to confess and repent and come back to you. This is the moment. Just raise your hand where you are and we will gather around you for a few minutes and pray. There we go. There's a hand at the back. Well done. Guys, go and pray there, please. There's another hand over there. It's where you see your hand. If you are saved, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you have Jesus Christ in your life, go and pray with him. Lance, Ron, you guys can go and pray there.
We are all saints in Jesus. So now, this, this confronting thing, when, I don't know how many parents do this, but I normally only confront my children in a meaningful way if I want to interrupt what they're doing and change it. Any other parents here that understand that concept? So when we say that Jesus was a confrontation to us, you've got to ask yourself, well, why? Is it just to make headlines? I think there's a few people in South Africa that do that just for sensationalism. But Jesus confronted to interrupt. A couple of things. He comes in Mark fifteen forty two, and it's where where the guy from Arimathea comes and he says, "Can I have the body before preparation day?" Just a quick summary on preparation day. It was the preparation for Sabbath, not necessarily for Passover. It overlapped Passover then when it happened, and Jesus comes and his death is an interruption to the people of the day. To their religiosity, it's an interruption. Because how can we leave the one that we just praised as king of the Jews, now accused and crucified for being king of the Jews, how can we leave him hanging out there? You know what God wants to do? He wants to interrupt every religious thought that causes you to not have a relationship with him. You might say I'm playing semantics here. I'm not. God was always interested in a relationship with you and I. Much more than religious observations. It's all about relationship. The second thing that Jesus wants to come and interrupt that I felt for us as Lebronians this morning He wants to interrupt our cultural norms. Mary and her children go to put spice and embalm Jesus the day after, which is the cultural norm. They want to go and open the the grave and just make sure that he is wrapped and he's honored and he's mourned. And Jesus interrupts that in a big way. He wants to rise up in our culture and be the sovereign one. Not the added on, not the fitting in. He wants to interrupt it and say, I don't care what culture says. This is what you are called to stand for. I don't care what culture says about being married. I don't care what it says about living together. I want to bring you my best. I don't care what it says about having a face. I want to bring you my best. Live my best. I don't care if it's okay to steal. Live my best. I don't care if the rest of the world is pillaging and stealing and emptying the treasury. I want to give you my best. 
Let my culture interrupt yours. Anybody sometimes here want to fit Jesus into their culture? It's so nice when Jesus fits into the mayor culture. You're so convenient. Not the confrontational Jesus that died for me on Easter. He comes and interrupts to bring his best. The third one, I feel like God wants to interrupt our fellowship, our hearts, our homes. John 20, verse 19 to 21. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and he stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Lainey already brought it this morning. My Lord and my God. Does your fellowship carry something of his lordship and of his presence? Will you allow him to interrupt your house and your heart? We've invited this Easter. It possibly doesn't fit within the convenience of your life. Have you bought a box of Easter eggs and are quietly eating it by yourself at night? Take five and give them away. Go and interrupt the lives of those that cannot afford Easter eggs or do not even expect it. Randomly in a shopping center. Walk up to a child and the mother and say, can I give your child an Easter egg? Walk away with a smile because you can. Make a meal and give it away. You know, he doesn't need the open door to come into your presence, into your fellowship. He is there. They just had to recognize him. Don't you take some time this morning to recognize his hands and his feet in your fellowship? You see, if you have a relationship with him and you're not just a religious follower of him, you will hear his voice, you will see him, you will experience him, and you will act in the moment the way that he would have. The next thing that I feel that he wants to interrupt is he wants to interrupt our journeys. A journey, what I call a journey, you might call a career. Some of you might call it my life. My way that I think. The way that I process things. Two people walk on the road to Emmaus. Next minute, a third person joins them. Starts talking to them. Ah, great and profound things. Walking, walking, walking. And then the Bible says at some point, Jesus, well, my my interpretation, pretends to walk on as they turn away. And this is now they often, they're at 
um, uh, Waterfontein, and he's pretending to walk on to Linksfield. And they say, no, 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 no. Why don't you come with us and have a meal? He interrupted their journey to the point where they asked for more of him. Jesus wants to interrupt your journey so that you ask for more of him. Maybe you can ask him this time to come with you on this often and not try and do it on your own. And then when he sat with him and he, he ate and they, their eyes opened, they said, it's Jesus. And you know what? Their journey changed from their journey to his journey for their lives. May we be a people that allow our journey to be interrupted by Jesus in our thoughts, in our careers, in our lives, in how we process things, in our emotions. Some people have slightly more um, hills and valleys in their emotional journey. Let's come to one of our family gatherings. I think, where's Nikki? She would, we could have been Greek. We are expressive and loud. Emotions. Maybe God needs to interrupt your journey of emotions this morning. Last thing I felt that Jesus wants to interrupt here. Matthew 28, 8 to 10. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. This is the ladies that went to go and put spice and embalm Jesus and wrap him properly. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. Sometimes he just wants to greet you. <laughs> greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Their message wasn't. <laughs> To go and tell other people about Jesus. They were probably going to go and tell everybody how they killed our Lord and our Savior and our Master. And now they won't let us into the tomb because they've put this big boulder in front of it. And they have sealed it with a governor's seal and they are God stationed. If you think about it, that's, that should have been their message. Hopeless, despair, the one we thought that would change it all. What we thought would be the physical human king of the Jews and restore God's way, he is dead. Instead, their message is, greetings, go and tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee. May our message Carry something of the hope that is alive because of Easter. May we walk with smiles despite the economy. And when people say, are you aloof and removed? You can say, no, I know. But because of Easter, my Jesus is alive. And there is eternal hope. You can journey this emotional road, and, but he can interrupt it to the point where your message is one of hope and restoration and inclusivity into the body of Christ.
I pray that this Easter, we all, including myself, will be confronted with the realness of Jesus' sacrifice, the atonement, the propitiation. But may we forever also be gripped with the celebration of His saving act that gives us hope for tomorrow. Won't you stand with me?